All right. Well, welcome back to Classroom 21. All right. Here we are. Yes. We've been gone for a long time. (laughs) And what brings us back to the table? Nothing but a huge social issue that's going on right now uh, with the death of George Floyd. Not just George Floyd, but George Floyd, Ahmaud, Aubrey, uh, in Savannah, Georgia, or around Savannah, Georgia, and Breonna Taylor uh, in Memphis. Uh, but not, not Memphis, I'm sorry. Uh, Minneapolis, wasn't it? Still Minneapolis with Breonna Taylor? I believe was that what I can't remember? I think the other one, Ahmaud, was in uh, Brunswick. Brunswick, or, yeah, like that's Brunswick. Yeah. Uh, Breonna Taylor, uh, I believe, was still in Minneapolis, wasn't it? Same city that uh George Floyd was George Floyd I think so yeah I believe so okay but I can't remember way, for sure on that one either way it's yeah there's there's all kind of things there's too much going on right now to not talk about it exactly so the, those uh few those uh three huge deaths uh are all by police well, one by ex-police uh Amar Aubrey uh by mm-hmm. uh, one ex-police officer that was had ties to Governor uh, Brian Kemp, also to the uh, DA of, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, Attorney General, I believe. No, I'm sorry, no, the the assist, the uh, the DA of uh, Chatham County, uh, the county that which he was uh, from. So uh, that's a lot <laughs> there's a lot on. of connections there. It's, it's hard to keep yeah. it all straight, man. There's so yeah. much, <laughs> so much craziness going on here. There's definitely a lot. So either way, whatever it is, all of that brings us to the table at Classroom 21. Um, where me and Ken have been the host of Classroom 21 from day one. We've been hosting this platform to look at social issues as it relates to social work. Uh, this situation here uh, causes us to unpack so much in social work but i don't even think we can really keep it all social work related it does deal with a large portion of society not just social work i mean this goes deep Mm -hmm. into political uh aspects uh family aspects uh man relationship black white relationship i mean uh, racism i mean systemic racism uh just everything you know so yeah it goes deep uh, it's real deep (laughs) way deep so uh, if you can guess, uh, our platform is definitely diverse. I'm, uh, I consider myself to be a Black American. Uh, I don't take the stigma of African American. I dropped that stigma a long time ago, uh, and I can explain that later. I never really explained it on the platform here because it, up until now, and it really never really mattered to be honest with you. Yeah. But I took the, uh, the stigma of Black American. Can uh, can I live? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess I guess uh, I guess I consider myself a white American. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was going diverse right from the rip, <laughs> you know. So, uh, but uh, so yeah, we're gonna just dive into this uh, into this issue. I don't even know if we can uh, just preface it anything for our listeners. I mean, uh, so we just gonna go right into it and give our uh, our. Man, I don't even know what 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 are we calling our position here? What are we? I don't know. I think I think it's important to know is we're probably not we're not going to solve anything. So anybody listening to this right now, don't think there's going to be any problems necessarily solved because these are huge issues, and all we can do is talk about it and uh, 
you know, give our perspectives. And the only thing that I would hope for is that more people would talk about things, more people talk about things openly and honestly, rather than just being angry at each other and assuming the worst of other people. Exactly. Uh, I've been through for a long time. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of uh, Dr. King, and Dr. King was obviously a, a, a student or a a, a, a philosopher of Gandhi. Uh, and one of the things that he uh, said toward the, well, not gonna say toward the end, but many times throughout his uh, speeches and interviews, is that you know, uh, <clears throat> darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that, and hatred cannot drive out hatred. Only love can do that. That's right. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time, right there. I love it. One of my absolute favorites. And I've always added to it that if we if we spread more light and more love throughout the world, we won't have room for hatred and we won't have room for darkness. But right here, we see that uh, we have had these things creep up on more than one occasion in our society. And this is not the first time, of course, we had uh, things dating back to uh, early on, the first few sets that we had was when we, you had the Michael Brown case. Well, I would go back uh, to the Trayvon Martin case. Uh, you could go back from there when there was public outrage for uh, things spilling over into the streets. And then, of course, it spilled over with uh, in Ferguson uh, when they were out in the streets, you know, with the hands up. And that was the first time I believe we heard the Black Lives Matter uh, mantra. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the Black Lives Matter movement uh, took place from there. And uh, so, of course, everyone has been trying to find the best way to move forward with these particular type movements and protests and things of this nature. Now, I want to say right off the bat, from just being a Black American, uh, and briefly to explain that, since I must probably say it more than one time, my Black American means that I don't take the stigma of African American because uh, the definition of it is a person who's uh, more or less born from uh, African descent, and then you become an American. I was fully fledged born in America, so I just look at my uh, descendants, of course, they uh, from some from Africa. Some of my descendants actually come from uh, Sweden. And oh, cool, uh, man! I never yeah. knew that about you. Yeah, so look at you. You I don't look Swedish. No, I do. <laughs> 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 don't look Swedish whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, so and the. Uh, actual family of Clyde was actually all white up until 1867. And up until 1867, roughly 68, there were uh, there was a family in Fort Valley, Georgia. And at the time, it was battling between Fort Valley and Fox Valley, Georgia. And uh, uh, should be John Clyde was a farmer. He came enamored by this black female that walked into a store, fell in love with her, uh, he had kids with her and because he was married to a white lady they pretty much told him hey look you know you're either gonna be with this black chick and move out of town or you're gonna go back home to your white wife and forget about this black woman with these uh, black kids so he chose the latter he left with the young black woman and they moved to the Mississippi area 
Mississippi, Texas area, so they kind of sprawled out from there. They ended up having five kids. So they kind of sprawled out from Texas, Mississippi, Detroit, uh, New York kind of type area when they settled in. So uh, that's how kind of the clients come to kind of sort of kind of be uh, uh, black. So I always just say I'm a black American, not necessarily uh, African American because Great, man, that's interesting. I never knew that about you, man. I'm, I'm I'm learning that just along with everybody else right here on the podcast. Well, you're learning today that the <laughs> on my particular history for me is not all the way clear cut through the continent of uh, Africa. So I don't really take the moniker of saying that I'm African American. So I'm pretty much Black American. So uh, with that being uh-huh. said, you know, <laughs> uh, the uh, Black Lives Matter uh, movement, you know, comes through, uh, come to us in London. Now we're trying to figure out how do we absolutely place this into Black America? How do we get this movement started in the right direction? I don't condone the rioting and the things that have, I don't really condone the violence that comes behind it. Um, Dr. King once said that a riot is the Hold voice. You, you're dropping out a little bit there. There you go. I'm okay. So, <clears throat> Dr. King said that the, the riot is a voice of the unheard. You know, so... So hold on, hold on. I, first of all, I want to say you were you were dropping out a little bit there, so be be careful. I don't know what you got going on, but um, second of all, yeah, the I, I've been seeing people throwing that quote around, but they're taking it out of context because if you if you go back to read that speech, there I've seen people trying to use that to justify the riots, and if you actually yeah. look at the quote in context, he immediately condemned rioting and all forms of violence after that. Dr. King did not condone violence. He did not condone looting or robbing or beating people up or smashing store windows. That was not, you know, it, it, it kind of bothers me when people try to take that quote out of context and, and use it to justify that because that was not what he believed in. No. So just to clear the quote, because like I said, I do try to follow Dr. King. Just to clear up the quote, uh, in that speech he was talking about, he was actually talking about systemic racism. And uh, I won't really give a all drawn out definition of systemic racism, but it's more or less racism that goes on for a long period of time through a particular uh, mode. He was pretty much talking about a society or government that has given a, has given a, a group of people no other way to express themselves legally. You know, uh, if you look at the speech, he was, uh, it was an interview rather, mm-hmm. where he was uh, saying that uh, what else would you expect out of a group of people that have, that believe, <laughs> first off, that they are not getting equal, equal representation under the same government that is telling them to be represented. So then you go tell those same people that are being uh, dumped on to, hey, not only are you going to be dumped on, but then we're not going to listen to you, number one, or we're number two. And then while we're not listening to you, we're also going to completely uh, oppress you. And then while we're oppressing you, we want you to just really, truly be calm and just take this oppression. And then, you know, hey, it, it'll probably get a little bit better, but we're just not going to take the foot off your neck. So mm-hmm. then, of course, what happens is all of that bottles up and you end up with some type of uh, pushback, which in uh, society standpoints is probably going to be a riot, you know. So uh, <clears throat> then, of course, 
he gets asked a question about, you know, the violence. And then, of course, he gives the answer, you know, uh, a riot is the voice of the unheard. So he's pretty much responding to a question or an interview about systemic racism and how long it has went on. And then you have this a group of people, not just black people, because you got to figure with Dr. King, he was also going after uh, the, the disabled, uh, the disabled society. And he was also talking about Hispanics as well, you know. So in a lot of those speeches, he never left out Asian and he never left out Hispanic. You know, so it wasn't just black, you know, it was all of those brown and yellow people that we always, you know, seem to forget about a little bit too, you know, so, and the Native American people as well, you know, so um, every all of those people have suffered under that stigma of racism, you know, yeah. so, uh, but today we're here because we have the most egregious thing, you know, that has happened to a person that I probably, you know, can feel that any law enforcement person can do, which is to sit on a person until they have died. Yeah. You know, um, that is probably worse than spitting on a person um, in law enforcement standpoint. You know, oh, I, yeah. I was an officer for, I was officer for almost 15 years, close to 15 years. Um, and sitting on a person is probably the worst thing a police officer. There's some other things, but that's probably one of the worst. And from what I, from what I've, you can correct me. You you've worked in law enforcement. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but from what everything I've read, that technique is not taught in police academies, and it's not an accepted method of of um, restraining a person. No, that is not a restraint at all. Yeah. That is what you would call. Uh, it's like it's a knee hold. Yeah. And what it, that hold allows you as an officer to do one thing, and that's the handcuff for suspect. That's all it's really there for. It's there for you to, to put the cuffs on. Once those cuffs, once the cuff is on, then you, you're off. That's it. You know, you, 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 you back off and the person is rolled to the side. Even if you have to keep them on the ground, mm -hmm. they're rolled to the side so they're able to breathe. Yes. You know, you're not constricting their air flow and then they roll to the side and then you, you let them sit there. You may have an officer holding the leg so they're not kicking or what have you, but for the most part they roll to the side until they're ready to comply and or in other words until they're ready to stand up and get placed inside the car and then after that, that's the end of it but the hold is never meant, never ever meant to be used as a restraint or anything. Yeah. You know, because in other words, you're sitting on the person. Yeah. You know, that's what you're doing. You're sitting on the person. Well, and the you know, like, so yeah, putting the knee on the side of the neck like that not only impedes a person's ability to breathe, but it, it, you're blocking off the carotid artery. It's the same as a, like a, a chokehold in martial arts where you, you, you put the arm around the neck. In that case, people, some people mistakenly think you're, you're putting pressure on the windpipe, but that's not. You're actually... When you do a chokehold, the, the the inside of your elbow goes over the windpipe, so you you shouldn't be putting any pressure on the windpipe at all. It's the uh, the pressure on the carotid arteries arteries on both sides of the neck. And when uh, like the officer did with George Floyd, he's he's putting pressure on that artery as well. So he's not with him. He was not only impeding his ability to breathe, but he was impeding the ability to blood to get to his brain which is incredibly yeah, yeah. dangerous, which should never be done for more than a few seconds. Like you said, I mean, if you're going to do that, if you have to do that to get the cuffs on somebody, then get the cuffs on them and get off of them. 
That's it. You know, the cuffs on, you get the cuffs on, it's off. And, yeah. And you have four officers there. It should be no reason why, you know, uh, I have a, I can speak from the law enforcement standpoint. So uh, from the law enforcement standpoint, uh, four officers, one suspect, even though he was six, two or three or whatever it is, pretty big guy, but uh, you got four officers. That means that you have more than enough there for control. There's more than enough there to be, even if he's combative. Yeah. You have more than enough there to do what you need to do to bring the person to be, um, to be subdued. Now, you look at the video, the guy's well within a well restrained because he's sitting on him and then he got his hands in his pockets. Yeah. So that lets you know that he has a lot of control over the suspect long before he passes out. Oh, yeah. You know, long before he passes out. So there's ample opportunity to get him and let this individual uh, catch his breath, get inside the, the vehicle, and they go ahead and go about their business if they're going to make an arrest or whatever they're going to do. From my, from my experience, it looks like the officer that was there was, he was definitely the more the veteran. Uh, he was trying to make a point. You know, mm-hmm. not only to the other officers, but also to the person that the suspect, you know, that he was going to do what he was going to do regardless of people filming or whatever. Well, this guy had been written up uh, from what I read several times already anyway for uh, yeah. misconduct. So he, he had a history. Yeah. 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 Uh, that, that gives you that, uh, that superiority complex. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that... Uh, 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 he, he he gets that okay you only you, you get that Superman complex it's a Superman thing that you get on the department I've been written up I think they said I think he had been written up 12 times over his career and he had only suffered one time and his suffrage might have only been at the beginning of his career so here you have a person been written up 12 times I believe it was you only really get punished one time so you get off 11 times out of your whole career so you got the feeling that you're probably not gonna be killed. Yeah. He probably had a lot of more run-ins with supervisors where they where they probably had told him something, but they never did anything. So here you're looking at you have these officers that I learned, you know, weeks later that they were pretty much brand new officers under his tutelage, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. So here, here they're looking at an officer that is not being touched by the department. So he's probably doing a lot of stuff against the rules, a lot of policies being broken. But, but because, but because he's not being disciplined, then they feel like, oh well, I guess I should listen because this guy knows what he's talking about because he's been here 19 years. He hasn't been disciplined. He's been doing the stuff this way, so mm-hmm. he knows what he's talking about. But instantly, when he, when I looked at this video, the one thing that I saw is that he's he's used to doing things under the cover of darkness. The way the officers were spread out was in lookout positions when you are when you are like uh when the moon is going down. You know, yeah. so I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I instantly recognized that little that little pattern. You know, I instantly recognized that that little okay, this officer is doing this behind the vehicle sort of type thing, because that would be the darkest spot everybody else is kind of spread out you know to kind of see who's looking sort of kind of type thing you know so, so you think he, they, they think he was comfortable with that because he's just doing the same kind of thing that he's done before at, at after oh, dark yeah, and then uh, sure. just oh yeah he, he's used to that yeah, yeah. He's, done, he's done that 
I guarantee you, if they go back and look at a lot of his arrests where people have been combative, they're probably going to find a lot more arrests where he has actually sat on individuals. They're probably going to find a lot more arrests where the individual probably been passed out. Yeah. Either when they got into the jail or they had a lot, and or, or when the ambulance has gotten in and they've had to revive a suspect from being probably passed or what have you. Uh, so I'm almost certain this has happened on more than one occasion. He's way too comfortable on the video. Yeah. Way too comfortable, you know. So way, way, way too. Comfortable. Yeah, he uh, you know, he's just kind of staring at the camera. He doesn't seem to be uh, concerned at all. And wasn't one of the guys there uh, new to the force? He'd only been on the job for a few days or something four like that. Days. Four days. Yeah, one guy was four days. The other guy has it was his third shift. It was his third shift. So that was maybe that's a, a, a month or so. I guess that's about a month or so. I guess you taking the taking a full shift, so I guess they look at the shift as you you know full cycles, you know, so of of full pay period shifts, I guess, or whatever they're trying to say it was. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, four days, man. I mean, four days and you second degree murder charges. Yeah, so he had a short career, <laughs> a short lived career in law enforcement. Very short. I think there. Very yeah, short. I think. Well, so so what what can we do as social workers? Then, like to to combat this, you think what, what what can we advocate for? What do you what do you think from you know you've had a history of law enforcement, so do you have any ideas about what do you think we should be advocating for? Like what angle should we be coming at this from to to, to be able to do the most good? Do you think bring back social service boards uh, and have them where they you have to uh, come back and answer periodically? Then you have. Uh, social service boards are comprised of uh, you have one person from the department mm-hmm. and that's all you do. You get one person from the department and then everybody else is either going to be a school teacher or a nurse or a random citizen, generally someone from the neighborhood that you are accused of having a complaint in mm-hmm. and then a person who is either a witness or a person who has like has first-hand knowledge of the complaint mm-hmm. you know so um now sometimes they'll do away with the witness because obviously it can get kind of heated you know if you have an actual witness or what have you but bring back that service board where those officers or officer has to sit there and explain you know those it those complaints yeah you know when you, when you get complained on not no long it should not be any longer where you have an officer that goes in the ia and they, they write down their complaint, you know, on a form, and they answer to it on a, an officer can answer to it on a form. And then the complainant leaves, and then the officer leaves, and then somebody independently comes in, and they come in and they look at that complaint, look at what they've been saying, and then there's a decision that's rendered based on police officers' interpretation. Mm-hmm. And police officers are going to look out for police officers. Plain yeah. and simple. You know, they're going to, if they feel like the complaint is validated because an officer, I know exactly what to say to another police officer. Yeah. You know, so as a social worker, we should be advocating for social service boards across, not when when a police officer needs to be hired, they need to be in place when officers have complaints. And this, you can see when you have an officer has more than one complaint, and those complaints are going up, and you have the same teacher 
and the same mm-hmm. nurse and the same citizen coming up and they're reaching these conclusions over and over and over again, then you can be like, hey, listen, wait a minute. We have a pattern here with an officer. Yeah. Now, if you have a social worker on those boards, hey, we could, hey, let's let's redirect this officer towards this particular type of training. So the training can matter. As an officer, I can tell you right now, as a police officer, one thing that I advocated for the most was that police officer training rarely, it rarely matches the training that you needed when you was on patrol. Hmm. On patrol, I would say, hey, listen, I really need to have burglary apprehension because I have a lot of burglars in my zone. But I would have a sergeant that says, hey, you know, that burglary apprehension is really for a lieutenant. Well, lieutenant is not on patrol. Huh. But those classes are really for the lieutenant. I need you to take uh, I need you to take uh, uh, patrol techniques. I need you to take this class because you're on patrol. I'm like, yeah, but I don't need patrol techniques because I have I, I, I've already have patrol techniques because I've already learned it, you know, just doing the job. I've already learned the patrol techniques because I've been able to uh, go and read a book. I've already been able to put this into you because I've already done something on my own to self-initiate patrol techniques. But I really need this class because this class is going to help me. But because burglary and detention is a 40-hour course and it's kind of cushiony and the lieutenant kind of uses that in his vacation, well, guess who's going to get the course? Well, the lieutenant is going to get the course because the lieutenant uses that in his vacation. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah. So, so I've been seeing a lot of people. Obviously, I'm, you know, I've been on social media like everybody else, kind of like seeing the things that people are saying. And one of the ideas that I've seen people put forth is uh, requiring police officers to have a certain degree of education as a requirement to work in law enforcement. Um, like the, the the person that I saw mainly, primarily advocating for this was uh, was trying to say that police officers should all have a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Um, and I don't know necessarily if I would think that seems a, a little bit much, but, um, that's not going to work. Yeah. Either. Like that's not, it doesn't seem realistic. So what, no. what, what would you think though? Do you think it'd be realistic to, uh, to start if, if agencies, if, if, you know, sheriff's departments and, you know, police forces started requiring new officers to have a, uh, some kind of a train, even if it's like a, if like a new a training course was invented kind of like if you you know if you want to become a truck like I, I drove a truck for a while if you want to become a truck driver you know you kind of have to go through the course you know i took a truck driving course at a technical school um i went for you know several weeks at night you know and, and had to pass the test and had to do this and that and the other um i would think at the very least maybe it would be a good idea to have something like that like i know i know police go through a police academy but it seems like uh, I could I could see the utility in requiring a certain amount of formal education beyond that, though. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, what happens is, in order to be mandated as an officer, uh, now some departments uh, they do uh, now. When I joined, uh, when I joined the department, we had uh, ten we had ten additional weeks. You had to get out of your department's academy first, which was ten weeks of department of academy. And then you had the state academy, uh, state of Georgia academy required a ten-week mandate course. And then from that ten-week mandate course, you had to meet three phases of FTO, 
which each phase of FTO required a month-long phase of FTO. So that's roughly 90 more days of uh, FTO phases. Mm. And then, of course, on your, on your last month, you're supposed to be kind of solo patrol. You know, so by the time you get to the last month, you're supposed to be able to be a police officer by that point. And then after that, you should, you're should you supposed to get 40 hours of accredited time every year for those classes. That's why I was saying earlier, when you look at your, when you look as an officer, as a police officer, I know exactly what training I need to make me a better officer. Yeah. That's one of those things where officers, if, if an officer is looking at his career, he automatically knows I know what is I know what I need to make me a better officer, or I know what classes I need in order to go to further my career. Now, again, like I said, if you take those classes and you say, Hey, I really need burglary apprehension. I really need that class because I, because I have these burglars in my neighborhood and I don't know how to apprehend them. I need this course to show me how to do this. But because this is a very nice course, it's a 40-hour course. Uh, in Georgia, you have to have 40 hours a year in order to stay certified. So uh, it's a 40-hour course. But because the lieutenant uses this course, because it's an easy course for him to go to. Hey, this is kind of like my uh, this is kind of like my vacation because some of these courses, like everything, is not offered, you know, at uh, in uh, at a in a school. Yeah, some of these courses can be like in uh, Tybee Island. They could be at some very nice uh, places. Yeah. So, so is the problem is the problem? Then you think that um, the the police forces aren't wanting to spend the money to, to properly train the officers it's not the money that's it's not the money is the issue what it is is that a lot of the training that should go to officers are absolutely going to people who are like upper chain that don't really need the training that on a smaller department a lieutenant is a person who's probably not going to be on the road so let's just be honest mm-hmm. on a department that's less than 300 people a lieutenant is probably a person who is in the office doing payroll so that lieutenant doesn't need to be uh need to be trained in burglary apprehension because that lieutenant is not fit to get out and apprehend burglary suspects only the department that's probably 500 or better that lieutenant is probably still a part of the road that's probably still a road lieutenant now that particular lieutenant of course he might probably need to have burglary apprehension and he may still get the course but if I'm a lieutenant, then still, if I'm a road lieutenant on a court on a department that's 500 people, I probably have maybe two sergeants, and I probably have seven patrol officers. Mm-hmm. I'm probably still not going to be out here apprehending. Um, I'm probably going to be out here apprehending burglary suspects. I might respond to the scene after these seven patrol officers apprehend somebody. Officers are not getting the correct training. Because a lot of times the department heads, the people who are in these real nice kitchen spots, if I got a police training, <laughs> if I got a police training, I'll give you a good one that's a judgmental pistol shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as an officer, I can probably get that course. But um, when I was coming through, judgmental pistol shooting was a 40, it was a, I'm sorry, not 40 hours ago. It was a three-day course, uh, eight eight days, so that's 24 hours. 
It was a three-day course, very nice facility. It wasn't a hard course. There was no test at the end of it. You just had to pass a simulated, you know, routine. But uh, the course was very, very nice. So to, in order to get the course, you know, of course, a lot of people had to sign off on it or what have you. But uh, it was in a really nice location. You know, yeah. so three days, you get to drive your car up there, you get free lunch and all this other stuff. And you're like, hey, look, you know, I'd rather, uh, you know, if if, uh, if the captain didn't want to get it, you know, so then the captain might say, well, I'm going to pick and choose but I want to send that to the judgmental pistol course. Well, every officer needs to have judgmental pistol shooting because you don't want to get out here in a situation and shoot the wrong person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Obviously. So, so why, why is it everybody? Why isn't everybody getting that training now? Because, it's, like I said, training, officers don't get the right training because you have you have upper epsilon who are, they're picking shoes, they're favorites. You have people who would take the training because it's offered in a really nice spot. So, hey, I'm going to go to this particular training because it's been offered in, uh, like I say, it's been offered in Tybee Island. And I want to go to Tybee Island and I don't want to send this officer to Tybee Island. You know, uh, I had an opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. and train for riots around the White House, you know, wow. so, and we had, it was, and it was a big deal. I mean, it was a huge deal on the department. And man, I had to write like three or four letters in order to get to go because they were only going to choose so many officers from patrol in order to go, you know, so yeah. the thing about it is that training on a department can be so competitive when you're competing against your own captains, your own majors for some of these courses that you absolutely need. So the training itself can be tough to get. So this guy that was sitting here is a 19 vet, 19 year veteran. If all you ever got in your 19 years was patrol techniques, he probably never got verbal judo. He probably never got customer service. He probably never got you know, uh, uh, apprehension techniques, different ways to take down a suspect. He probably never got defensive tactics, you know, which you should have every year. You should refresh your defensive tactics every year. If he is absolutely a training officer, a field training officer that has new, obviously he has new officers under his belt. He should always be abreast on whatever the new trainings are that's coming out. And if he doesn't yeah. have those new trainings, if he's just taking something like, look, man, I got to have 40 hours. You know what? Hey, just give me anything. Just give me anything throughout the year so I can get my 40 so, hours. So, so Antonio, first of all, hey, you're you're still, you're dropping out periodically. You're getting really, really muffled. So I don't know if you're oh, moving okay. or what's going on with that, but you are, you are kind of dropping out sometimes. So be careful of that. But, yeah, I'm moving closer to the phone and I get kind of worked over. Okay, the training yeah. So part, yeah, you, you got yeah. you got to fight that. So well, tell me this though. I've, I, I'm curious about this though because you you've given a lot of information on the training. But so how much of the problem do you feel like is lack of training versus what's going on with the officers themselves? Because I think it's it's debatable too how much. And you've I talked a little bit about how much of a role. Um, just racism plays in it. Um, yeah. Cause I think there, there, there is an element to that, but I feel like, you know, I think, yeah, my personal element is the feeling is that there's more, it's more of a problem with there, there's officers out there who just get off on that power. Like you were talking about 
And there's a lot of them, but I don't think they really care who they're exerting power over, whether they're white, black, Hispanic, Asian. They just, there there are some people that just seem to get off on having authority over people. And those are the ones that are kind of messing it up for everybody else. Because I've known, I've got friends in law enforcement that I know are, man, they're good people. They're just, they're trying to do a hard job. But there's some bad apples out there. You've told me, you've seen some of them firsthand. Oh, yeah, for sure. I've uh... uh... I can tell you, um, like it's a lot to unpack that with the training. It's, uh, I believe it's it's a it's accumulation of, of a little bit of everything. But as far as the training, what I've seen, I mean, it's about forty to fifty percent training. I'm not going to try to put a good percentage on about forty to fifty percent training. What I mean by the the, the the such large percentage of it is because a lot of the training you get as an officer is just a bunch of bull crap because it doesn't it doesn't sufficiently put you into position to really be a, a great police officer. A lot of the training that you get comes from um, another officer that has been through a lot of horrific stuff that, hey man, if I was you, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Do it this way because some of the trainings you get comes from stuff, you know, like being able to go through the courtroom, you know, being able to, to testify properly. Yeah. Being able to know what to do in the courtroom will help you what to do on a call. Hey, you know what? Because I know that, that in the courtroom, this is not going to fly. Let me not do this on the call because this probably going to hem me up, you know, something like that. You yeah. know, so uh, things, see, stuff like that helps you out in so many different areas. So I say 40 to 50 percent, you know, so training goes a big, big uh, uh, way in law enforcement. You have to have officers who are well trained. You can't just have an officer that knows how to write citations because that's yeah. just not all the law enforcement. So one of the things too, when you talk about the officers who are racist, the officers that I work with, they don't even try to hide it. <laughs> they don't even try. And when they come through the precinct, you know, they are clearly biased when it comes to uh, whatever ethnic group that they do not like. Of course, we're here in America, so we're going to try to we're going to talk mostly, it's going to be mostly against black people. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that you hear when you are a young officer, because I was young when I came in, I was 21 when I came to the department. Mm-hmm. I was 21. When the first thing that you hear, I hope you're not like the rest. That's the first thing you're going to hear. Without a doubt, I was a young black guy. First thing, I hope you're not like the rest. And you like, okay, what are you talking about? This is, like I said, they don't try to hide it. Yeah. You know, man, you know, down on here, you know, <laughs> I'll tell you, down here, man, you know, these young guys, these young guys, they, you know, they believe in selling dope and things of this nature. They don't outright say, hey, you know, blank. they don't outright call them, you know, the N word or nothing like that. They don't do anything like that. They just tell you straight up, this is what it is. And then the, when you get on patrol, oh, find any way to lock him up. Find, oh, find something to lock them up on. And if you're not smart enough, mm-hmm. and if you if you're not catching the, the grip, you'll do the same thing they're doing. You'll do the same thing they're doing. And an officer, a white officer who is a good police officer, they will tell you, "Hey, that guy's racist because all he do is lock up black people." Yeah. Man, I had I had a guy that worked with me. They said, "Oh man, all he does is lock up black people. That's all he does is lock up black people." Huh. So we were in a predominantly black neighborhood, okay. But I started working with the guy because I mean, he was on the same floor. Well, my first encounter with him, it seemed like he was straight up racist, man. I was like, oh my goodness, 
it seemed like everything that person did, he found a way to lock him up, write him a ticket or whatever. So I kept looking at him and I kept working with him. And then I was like, wait a minute, this guy's not really trying to lock anybody up. He's really trying to get people not to be incarcerated. He would tell people everything in the world. Don't do this. Don't do that. If I was you, I wouldn't do that. Don't go over there. Hey, yeah. don't, don't. I mean, he would give so many warnings. Like, hey, if I was you, I would not, you know, just, you know, go home, go do this, go do that, go to work, go do this. I mean, I was on one call where he literally begged a person. I mean, I'm not talking about like, hey, man, like how we say beg. He was literally like, please, 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 whole nine yard begging a person to leave. So he would, so nothing would happen to him. And of course, the dude just wouldn't listen to him getting arrested. So we had a long conversation about racism. He was like, no, nah, man, he said, you know, I try to get these guys to go home, to do anything but break the law. He said, but sometimes you have to make an arrest. He said, but the way that I talk, make them seem like, you know, they uh, make it seem like, you know, that I'm out to get him. He said, but I'm really not. So we worked together for a long time and I realized that he was not racist, but uh, some of the other officers, they were they absolutely were. They only went to black neighborhoods. They only uh, when they would only get out on black suspects. Uh, they would only pat down uh, blacks. They wouldn't pat down any whites. They would take all the whites' words for it. Uh, they would uh, they would they would write the blacks heavy 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 citations. They would assume that every black person they saw was on probation. Uh, they would assume that every black person they saw had a warrant on them for whatever reason. They assume that most blacks didn't have any jobs and things of that nature. So the list went on and on and on. So I confronted one officer one night. I said, hey, I said, we're spending all this time, you know, in the black neighborhood. And why are we over here in the white neighborhood? Because I spent just a minute of time writing citations, you know, for a suspended license in the, in the affluent white neighborhood as I mm-hmm. do in a black neighborhood. And he just fought me up and down. Was like, no, you know, uh, we're not gonna go over there. And so I, of course, broke away from the squad. You know, some other people broke away from me, with me, and, and worked the other side of the other side of the zone. And of course, we made just as many cases as he made in the uh, in the black neighborhood. I said just as many cases, but we're working only one side of the zone. We should yeah. work all of the sides of the zone. The racism is there. So how many how many of those were there then? Do you think from the, the ones you were describing that were blatantly, clearly racist that had a bias against against black people? How many of those do you would you say there was on the police? And how much from your experience? I guess what percentage do you think that would be? Is that like on the department of, of yeah on the whole? Do you think do you think your experience was? Um, representative of, of a normal police force across the country or do you think there was more than normal or less than you would expect no, to see? I'm definitely going to say it was definitely normal because I worked on two different departments and had the same uh, results um, on the first department I worked on it was a little the first one was large and it was well, considered to be large but I don't know uh, but it was uh, roughly the percentage was we only had five re- Roughly five officers per patrol. Mm-hmm. So, uh, two out of the five was my experience on patrol. Uh, was outright 
racist. Like I just had one guy who literally, I was a victim of some of that, you know, so wow. uh, off of the case that I refused to make and I was actually right in the end, but that didn't stop them from spraying a uh, fire extinguisher in my car. That didn't stop them from, um, that didn't stop them from going to uh, DA and writing letters that were true. That didn't stop anyone from uh, painting things on my patrol car. Didn't stop them from doing a lot of stuff. You know, so then when I was on another department, and I'm not calling any names, but when I was on another department, I actually worked with a guy that he was like, right racist. You know, so, and he was my backup. <laughs> he was my backup, but he was, he clearly was my outright racist, you know, so, oh. yeah. So, yeah, you know, so that's why I said, in this situation here, the George Floyd situation with just the police by itself. There's a lot to unpack in the situation. I mean, there's a lot to unpack in it. We're spending a lot of time on police training. I could spend four hours talking about police training and how important it is because all of these incidents, all of these incidents are based on poor police training. Yeah. All of it is just shooting up Breonna Taylor in the bedroom. You were clearly at the wrong address. A no-knock police warrant mm-hmm. is a no. Is a no-knock police warrant is a warrant that you have double-checked that address like a thousand times, man. You know, like there's no way you're going to the wrong address because a no-knock warrant, even if you get it on the third moment, like you have an officer sitting on the address. Like a no-knock warrant is a warrant that you you get from the from the, the judge, and you like, hey. You have to justify the no knock, and you verify the address. You verified at least at least three times. You know you verified it. You know so, but again, you had the wrong address, and here they kill a person. Hmm. Uh, and then you have the the retired police officer. You know that uh, even if he's going to continue to make arrests, and you want to have your certification or have your Bash to still be worth something in your retirement, you still would have to have a certain portion of training that's left over. So bad police training is just no excuse for a poor police officer. I just don't care what anybody says. If you can't say, hey, my officer was trained badly and then turn around and have a bad police officer. It just you can't have it. You know, so you either gonna have a well-trained officer and he chooses to ignore protocol, are you just going to have a poorly trained police officer and he's just going to be a poorly trained police officer? Yeah. And you think, you know, this guy in this case, I don't know if he's a racist or not because I didn't work with him, but racism uh, seems to be something that kind of stems through. We've seen so many Facebook videos where officers are coming through doing crazy stuff, you know, so, and there's just so much there's so much on this particular thing to unpack. Like I say, you know, systemic racism with things that we like what we're stuck on right now. Okay, so that's what we're talking about, I guess, is systemic racism through police officers. I mean, if you're already, if I'm a black man mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm getting pulled over, and if I'm already on the on the back end on this racism, the moment I get pulled over, no matter what I say, I'm gonna be wrong. Doesn't matter. Yeah. No matter what happens, you're gonna be wrong. It doesn't matter what's gonna happen from this point on. It doesn't matter what I say, what I do. I'm going to be wrong because that's what systemic racism says. It says that hey, 
no matter what, you are wrong. If I'm a social worker, you know, if I'm a social worker and I come in as a black therapist and as a black therapist, if this corporation doesn't want to listen to me or if the CEO is already uh, is already biased or racist or whatever toward blacks, no matter what I tell this particular person for his corporation, he's not going to listen. Hmm. It's just not going to happen. That's what systemic doing. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, our government has set black people up to fail. Blacks, Hispanics, this, they set us up to fail. I mean, that's what they've done. You know, that that's exactly what happened. Look at look at from the Jim Crow era. That's probably the best form of systemic racism you could probably ever look at. Oh yeah, definitely. These were these were laws. I mean, not necessarily federal law, but these were people who were killed mm-hmm. based on drinking the wrong water fountain. That's crazy. People were killed. Emmett Till was killed for supposedly, you know, making a remark to a white woman. This man, this boy was killed at 14. He was killed. This is this is nothing new to a black community. I mean, um, um, uh, Tynsteiny, Edwin Tynsteiny, this kid was electrocuted. His case went into the U.S. Supreme Court. These, this is the U.S. Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. This kid was killed. He was still the youngest person electrocuted in the oh, state you're of drop, Georgia. You're, yeah, you, you were dropping out again for a second there. No, uh, you hear yeah, me yeah. now? But this kid, uh, I think it was Edwin Tiny's Tiny Junior. I can't pronounce his name. That's great, but. He's still in a, he he is still considered the youngest person electrocuted in the state of Georgia in the electric chair. And, he, and he's taken to the U.S. Supreme Court. Just think about that for a moment. The U.S. Supreme Court electrocuted a 14-year-old boy. Hmm. So you're charged as an adult. Basically, yeah. man, just and because... Why? Because he was black? Because he was black. Because he was black. Yeah. And because uh, all the white people said, hey, he killed a person. 14-year-old kid. And there was no, nothing ever proved that he did anything. Even proving that he did not kill the person. But hey, but that's what happens, you know. So when you look at the death of George Floyd, which I guess is the tipping point in this particular case here, you look at the, the death of George Floyd, there's a lot to unpack in this case. Mm-hmm. When you look at them, it's a lot. Because you're not just looking at police, you're looking at the black community as a whole. You're looking at everything as a whole. It's not just the police. It's not just what the police officer did wrong. It's not just the other officers not even trying to help. You know, as people panicking around you, I mean, and the, the guy not even showing any kind of remorse you know not even trying yeah, it's crazy. not it's not just that just think about all of that it's a lot I mean you know it's so, it's so much it's so much to unpack in that situation I mean it's a lot then we, then we move into the protests and the riots and you know all of those things that's going on right now you know that's it's a lot yeah, there's a like, there's a, a whole lot there. That's where we get into a lot of the stuff that's very uh, divisive, divisive. I pronounce it right. 
um, because I, I feel like in the, it's another thing that I think we, we talked about briefly beforehand was that when George Floyd, when the video came out of George Floyd's murder, I think the vast majority of Americans were all on the same page. We're all of us, white, black, liberal, conservative. We all looked at that and said, that is wrong. That's horrible. That needs to be, that's wrong. That needs to be righted. And I think everybody was pretty much united, but then the, the, the looting starts and all the, like the, you know, the people come out of the woodwork to start smashing the target stores and like start and what's ironic is that these are supposedly riots that are a response to to being untreated, you know, black Americans being treated unfairly. However, I've saw multiple cases of black business owners who lost everything because they came up and, you know, people came and smashed their, their stores and, and done everything. And there was, um, I've seen, uh, there, there was a... Uh, black police officers were, were murdered. Uh, this is just, it's a really kind of, there's an element there that I think my belief is that there's a, there's a certain contingent of people who just want an excuse to, to cause havoc. They, they want an excuse to, to run around and, 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 and smash things and, and hurt people and any excuse they can find to do it is what they're doing. And so they come out and they're, Really, it does. I feel like it dishonors the the memory of, of George Floyd, and, and it dishonors the the movement of trying to to right these wrongs. And it kind of, it really, I feel like it kind of hurts the the whole thing because, like I said, we were everybody was pretty much on the same page. And then when this started, that's when all the all the conflict started, all the divisiveness, all the people arguing back and forth and whereas nobody was arguing to begin with um so i feel like there there are a lot of people who just are against against violence at all which i kind of feel like i I fall in that category i'm i'm very much against absolutely like the people those officers that, that murdered george floyd the ones that are involved in all these other cases they need to be weeded out they need to get gone um, but the responses of violence in kind to me are just just as bad. Two wrongs have never made a right. And uh, like you know, we talked about Dr. King a little bit. You know his his quote the, of, of riots being the language of the unheard. I've heard that people try to use that as an excuse to justify the rioting. But the thing is, they've taken that out of context. And when you read the rest of what he said around that, he clearly condemned violence. You know, he wasn't using that as, as an excuse to justify violence. You know, Dr. King was no. consistently against violence. And um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of problems. There's a lot to unpack here. And um, there are I think it, it, it's it's difficult to address. But and, and obviously, I don't see like you. You can have seen a lot more. You've you've been a police officer and you've been. A black man in America, so you have a lot more insight into some of this than I do. But it does feel to me like there are people who are profiting off of keeping keeping all this conflict going, um, because it really seems to me like most Americans, from my experience, really just want to get along with each other. They just want to do their thing. Um, but the there's the media is constantly fueling this fire, and I also I, like I mentioned earlier. Um, 
this kind of goes back to you talking about the lack of training being such a large part of the problem for police officers. Uh, I think you said like 45% or more you think of, of the problem is, is just the lack of proper training because I've seen since these events have come out, um, since uh, Ahmaud Arbery and since George Floyd, there's been all kinds of cases coming out that are people posting things on social media that I hadn't even heard of um, where it's it's not just black Americans who are getting treated badly. There was a you know Tony Tony Tempest is one that I, I mentioned, a white man who got the exact same thing, pretty much almost exactly what happened to George Floyd happened to him. Um, you know the cops jumped on him. They they put a, a knee in his neck. They held him down. He was he kept trying to say he couldn't breathe. He repeatedly there was. He was recorded. The um, it's on. There's video and audio of, of the case where he repeatedly was trying to tell the officers he couldn't breathe. They kept a knee on his neck for far too long until he died. He was actually dead. The, the officers didn't even realize the man was dead. They thought he had passed out. They were making fun of him. They were laughing at him, laughing about making jokes about waking him up for school and telling him that his mommy packed his lunch for him. The man's laying there dead on the road where they just murdered him, um, and that never even made headlines. Um, there was cases of uh, oh my gosh, what was the, the, the woman's name? Caroline Small in uh, Brunswick. The uh, a little a white woman, a, mo- a single mother of two that was uh, led cops on a, a low speed chase. They, she, they tried to pull her over. She wouldn't pull over so they threw out the tax strip and popped her tires and she kept driving on the rims. They finally got her cornered up between a light pole. She had a light pole behind the car and the police cars in front of her with just a few inches of moving. And she kept putting the car in reverse, bumping into the light pole, putting it in drive, bumping into the car in front of her. And, um, you know, one one officer there, I think I'm, I'm, not been, I'm thinking it was a GBI agent. I might be wrong on that. But there was somebody there that was trying to get him to stand down. That was trying to say, listen, I can just grab this woman, literally open the door grabbed this woman dragged her out of her car she was unarmed she didn't have a gun she didn't have a knife she was coming she was a 90 year old white girl a 90 year a 90 pound <laughs> like a little tiny like a 90 pound white girl with no weapon and uh you know the one guy was trying to say look i can just grab her and drag her butt out of the car you know this it's this is not hard but you know they wouldn't stand down and one of them was recorded saying she puts that thing in drive again i'm gonna shoot her and sure enough she put it in drive and they you know they put a hailstorm of bullets through the windshield shot her in the face you know she was murdered needlessly you know and i didn't hear about that either and there's um so there's clearly a problem and there's definitely i i won't deny that there is a problem with with racism like you said in the police forces and that's that's a terrible problem but it seems to me that there's a also a, just a big problem with with police in general um you know these cases these didn't even get media attention. You know, why is it not getting media attention? It's, you know, the cases of, you know, like the George Floyd, the Maude Arbery, rightly so, they got the attention they deserve. We need to know about these things. Um, those officers should not be allowed to get away with that kind of treatment. Um, however, it, it, it seems, it doesn't seem right, though, that it's only the black Americans that they get, gets attention to. There's other ones that are getting swept under the rug. And... I kind of feel like there's there are people that want to make everything about race and try to stoke the the fires of people being angry at each other and, and fighting and everything. We're in, in the kind of diverting away from other problems, you know, focusing on the racist issues 
and kind of taking attention away from the problem of these officers who are just running rogue, killing people that are just acting crazy and and not following proper protocol. So um, there's definitely a problem there. So I don't know if there there's two problems I can see right there we're talking about. So we're talking about there there is the clear problem of. You know, you described the racial profiling you saw in the police force and problems of blatant bias, blatant racial bias. Uh, but there's also the big problem of police officers having lack of correct training and, you know, the resulting in deaths of, of people who, who should never have to die at the hands of a police officer, regardless of the color of their skin. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to think, unpack... It's hard to unpack what to do with the solution and what, where to find a solution if we can't even find, you know, what problem to attack. There's, you know, like you said before, there's so many problems to attack here. Um, right. The there's so many, so many things to to, to consider. Um, from my standpoint, like I said, you know, from my standpoint, it starts with proper training. If you have proper training, you can weed out racist police officers right off the rip. Really? Because when you, right off the rip, because when you have proper training, you can see aggressive nature of officers. When you have proper training, you can see officers clear thinking in situations when situations get stressful. You can see biased thinking, especially in domestic violence situations where a lot of times where we have clouded thinking, where we come into a situation where we feel like uh, we got to lock up the mail every time there's a domestic and sometimes yeah. that's the case you know so what people ignore yeah that's, an, that's another thing that you and I have talked about before that's a whole nother that's, that's a whole nother conversation we won't open that kettle of fish right now <laughs> <laughs> I mean there's a lot of times you know where police officers they don't understand the laws so they mm-hmm. misinterpret or they don't you know, they completely uh, ignore a section of law and that is even more dangerous than uh, an officer who is uh, who is out here uh, being a racist because when you ignore a section of law, you could be ignoring something that is in the in favor of, and then you could go straight from uh, like low key situation to to deadly force when you ignore sections of law, mm, yeah. and that that's very dangerous, you know, to do that because you're escalating all on your own. With, with words, you know, uh, and, and nothing, no, no actions, no nothing, no, no weapon, no, no uh, progression. It's just words, you know, because you've ignored a whole section of uh, of law, you know. So, and you can't have officer who's doing that. So, when you have proper training, you can just eliminate so much stuff with in law enforcement. Now, I'm not gonna say in any other career field. But I can speak for law enforcement because I was yeah. there for a long time. And I can say in law enforcement, you can eliminate and probably 70 to 80% of the junk that takes place on a wow. regular, consistent basis with proper training. Really? And there, yes, because there are so much stuff that goes on on those departments. And if you just have a person that have a, if you have a good training, a good training, Department, you can eliminate, and a good and a good road sergeant, road sergeants who believe in training, proper training, 
you can eliminate all of that junk. That's when you can eliminate that. You can eliminate all of that, all of that boastfulness, mm-hmm. the, the superiority complex. You you can eliminate all of that. Reason being, like I said, because you catch it all, you can catch it all in training, and then you can come up with a more viable solution on a smaller scale for a handful of officers. It is hard to try to get a hundred officers to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. But I can get five or ten to do the same thing and influence twenty more. I can do that. But the more and more I the more and more I train, I get these ten trained properly. And then I get ten more trained properly and ten more trained properly. I have influenced an entire section, a division, a unit, a precinct, and before you know it, I have influenced an entire department. How do you think this racism thing started? They didn't start with, hey, let me get uh, 200 police officers in um, in agreement for me with racism. Mm -hmm. They didn't do that. They started with a handful of officers. Now, most people believe that this is the Klan being infiltrated into uh, portions of society like, you know, police, firefighter, uh, judges, and the court system and things of this nature, which very well, very well may be the case. You know, the Klan may have decided, hey, we're going to be smart enough to divide ourselves up into smaller numbers, and we're going to infiltrate all through America in many, 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 many different areas to spread our word of the brotherhood. I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that's it though. Today, I think that was the case. I'm, I'm absolutely positive. There's, there's no doubt that that used to be the case at one time. But right now, I don't think the, uh, honestly, the the the, the Ku Klux Klan though, dude, is is not. I think there's some people to try to hold them up as a this this big boogeyman today. That is, I think. There's so few people that agree with that kind of ideology. Now I know there are some, but they, the actual numbers. You, you, do you know how many members there are of the Ku Klux Klan today? Actually, if you look it, I've looked it up. It's interesting. They're like right now. There's between five and six thousand people who are members of Ku Klux Klan. That's not even enough to fill a football stadium. That's less than a small one small town in America. You know, like, I don't think, I mean, not to say that they're not horrible people. <laughs> don't don't misinterpret me on that. But uh, I don't think that there's enough. Um, they've, I, don't, I kind of feel like the Ku Klux Klan has become like an old wolf with no teeth. They, uh, they're just a bunch of, bunch of old stuffy racists and a handful of some, some yokels that, you know, some, some ignorant people. But there's, there's not enough. I don't think there's enough of those to really... Now, there might be people that, um, I guess, might be sympathetic to those kind of views. And in, in yeah, that case, left, that may be. But, um, they left their ideology behind. And I think that's probably more dangerous than anything is the ideology. But what I was just saying is as far as like, uh, being able to combat this on these departments is that we have got to, in my opinion... And I'll stick by my opinion uh, is because I really truly believe the more and better off you have uh, trained officers, the better off you're going to have uh, have an opportunity to change these things that are happening now with stuff like this. You know, so 
I'm a better trained officer. Even uh, the guys who was coming out from academy, uh, those guys who was on the department, especially the guy that was on that for four days. Yeah. In my opinion, I feel like if that had been me there for four days, I know you don't want to be the one who ruffled feathers. Yeah, yeah. He's probably just going along with. He's new. Yeah. It's a, it's it's sad. It's a shame, but it's yeah. But I feel like if I if that had been me, I mean I. I mean, I have done things like that before. I went up against other officers uh, after being on the department, you know, for some time. Uh, I think I would have just said, hey man, it's time to get up now. That's enough. You know, I went up against another officer that was uh, on a search and seizure Fourth Amendment case. They was violating the Fourth Amendment. And I was there. Now, I'm not, I was a person like this. If you, if you want to ruin your career, you can do that without me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You don't need me there to, but if I'm there, you're not going to ruin your career and mine. You know what I'm saying? I don't need any help ruining my own career, but I'm definitely going to enlist your help to ruin my career. So I will speak up for me every time. You know, so how how you take it is, I don't really care. So I feel like you know, uh, training can help to eliminate a lot of these issues. You can catch Antonio, some of this lost stuff. Oh, so <clears throat> I feel like we can catch these issues. Hold on, very, Antonio, very... can't hear you. I lost you. Uh, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Okay, I, I heard you there. Are you there? Are you are you back? Oh. Okay, yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, you got me now. <laughs> All right, so I guess that's just the Almighty telling you how to show I'm actually, actually, I'm really, I'm really, really surprised. Because, I mean, um, I didn't realize that the, you know, the, the the training was that big of a deal. I'm kind of shocked, honestly, that you do you really believe that with better training, we could weed out, you know, the majority of the uh, the bad apples that you know when they start, and it makes sense with the way you described it. it um, said i mean I've, I've never worked in law enforcement so i don't know enough to even try to argue it but it, it definitely seems to make sense so um that seems to me like something we could as social workers that, that would have to be addressed on, on the macro level of policy um then maybe we if we as social workers band together and try to advocate for better police training uh, on the macro level that that could be a good strategy to try to try to eliminate some of these problems that we're running into. You're exactly right, but it has to oh, be yeah. where you get rid of that. That good old boy network has to be busted up pretty pretty well. You know, so what, what happens that you run into on departments, like I say, a department less than 300, you're probably going to have a, um, you're probably going to have people looking out for folks pretty well. And departments who are probably more than that, uh, especially when you get up to the departments who are like five and six hundred people, they're probably going to be more susceptible to, hey, let's get these officers trained and let's get them, you know, because there, there's not a lot of allegiance there, uh, so yeah. to speak, you know, till you get way up the chain of command, so to speak. And you'll probably find a little bit of allegiance, uh, you know, hanging around the, the squad level, but not so much all over the department, you know, so but it's easier on those bigger departments. That's why I say you can't have it on, a, you gotta have it, you can't have it every way. You can't say, hey, our officers are well-trained, but hey, we got this guy who was, who's just bad. No, 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 no. If he's well-trained, 
then you got to call it what it is. If he's well trained, then what's the problem with this well trained officer? You can't say that yeah, he's yeah. well trained, but he made a bad mistake. No, no, no. Yeah. Because exactly. if I'm well trained, my training is going to kick in. You know, it's just plain and simple. I'm yeah. so sorry. It's like muscle memory. It's like riding the bicycle. You know what I'm saying? If you get on the bicycle right now, and man, hey, some things are just going to be second nature. You're going to just do it. If you're well trained, you're well trained, and hey, it's going to happen. You know, so you can have poorly trained officers, you know, and, uh, but my thing is, if you, I've seen training catch a lot of bad seeds on departments. I've seen it happen time and time again when you go to training and guys are using bad techniques, guys are using uh, overly aggressive language. I've seen guys who, uh, I, I became a domestic officer, so a lot of times you'll see very aggressive guys at that point mm-hmm. and guys who have bias against women, you'll see that a lot in domestic violence training. And then those are the guys that you say, hey, whoa, man, you know what, dude, you have a bias against women. And they may, uh-huh. if they are susceptible to it, they'll listen. The ones who don't want to listen, those are the yeah. ones who the training officer saying, hey, you need additional training. You need to come to customer service training. It's okay, now we've identified a problem with you with being uh, a person who's biased towards women. So now we need to get you in customer service training. Is, so that, is that what they call it? Is, is, that, is that what it's called? Your customer uh, service. So now let's do customer this service training. Well, they do call it. It's on our department, the department I was on, they called it customer service. However, when you got there, of course, you know, you didn't do real customer service. What they meant was customer service was like, what's your approach to the call? How did you present yourself? You know, are you asking people for, are you willing to ask for help? Do you offer help? How are you offering help? Do you have brochures in your car? Do you, do gotcha, you, uh, gotcha, gotcha. you promote the department? Or are you promoting yourself? So there were different ways to do, yeah, to do customer service. So that was, they called it customer service training because they wanted to see exactly how are you presenting yourself on the call mm-hmm. what's going on so then some people aren't built for patrol some people are built for things like hey you know what yeah. he may be aggressive but this person is built for SWAT team so let's get this person over to a SWAT you know see if you can get on SWAT or see if you can get to a specialized unit so this person needs to be on a specialized unit so they're not answering calls uh, this person needs to be on something you know like uh, working in the mayor's on the mayor's detail because then uh, they're not going to be dealing with the public. They'll be behind the scenes, walking up and down the hallway, you know, passing out flyers at events. You know what I'm saying? So get the officer to the area where they are most effective. So then this way, you're not dealing with officers on patrol. Yes. If, if Now, a racist officer, obviously you want to get rid of. But, um, but an officer who is not built for patrol does not need to be on patrol. But training can identify those issues. I mean, if I go through the social work program that I'm in now, and I graduate, and then I get to a to a uh, to an area, and they say, "Hey, look, you know, you're made better for individual therapy than group therapy." Hey, just try to get this guy to the area where he should be at. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I identify our personal strengths. So yeah, I think that a lot of these officers we're talking about that don't have enough uh, self-awareness to even 
understand what their own weaknesses are, especially ones like can you get in there? Like, and I, and I understand. A, unfortunately, then, racism is always going to exist. Um, there's always going to be white people who don't like black people. There's going to be black people who don't like white people. There's going to be people of every ethnic and racial makeup that don't like others, and and it sucks. But people, yeah, if if someone. In certain professions, it's it's more pronounced. I feel like the law enforcement is one area where that should be zero tolerance. There should be zero. If you have any the slightest shred, in my opinion, of any kind of racial bias, you don't need to work in law enforcement. The end. You don't. You're not cut out for. It. There's too much. There's too much room to to abuse you your your power when you get in a position like that. If you have the least bit of any kind of racial bias. Of course. Think about think about all you're able to do mm-hmm. as an officer. You take away freedom, and on the other end, you can completely take away life. So the two biggest things that people fear the most is their freedom and life being taken away. And then what ethnic group fears the most of life and freedom being taken away, which is the black community fears it the most that their life and freedom will be taken away by police. You know, so there are a lot of people who get pulled over by yeah. police officers I saw a Facebook and post, instantly um, think they're going it, it went viral, it was written by a, a white police officer who was talking about um, a, where he pulled he pulled a car over someone. I can't remember. It was something stupid, like they had a taillight out. You know, he was just going to pull him over. Routine traffic stop, no big deal. So he you know, he said he walks up to the car and it was it was a young black male between behind the wheel of that car and he said it just he described the situation said it just broke his heart because he could tell that this boy was scared to death was absolutely terrified you know what I mean he like he could see it in that boy's eyes he he felt like he was about to die and you know it was it was horrible and uh you know he he tried to talk to the kid and was like look i you know when he the kid was like you know had his hands on the wheel and he said he's shaking he's like well what do you want me to do officer he's like i just want you to be safe i want you to be going be able to go home to your mother i don't you know <laughs> and and it was it was horrible that like the the situation we've all that there are um there is a lot of fear like you said there is like uh, within the black community unfortunately there's there's a lot of people who are scared to death of getting pulled over whereas you know the other people might not even be able to understand that the same you know the same fears that they have and um it, it sucks because you know whether it's justified or not even it's it, it, that there's no reason that anybody should feel that way and you know i think that there's just it's all that more motivation that, that I think people should have that even uh, law enforcement should have to get man to get those good old boys out of there there's no place for that I feel like if anybody and I can't I know I said it before but I can't say it enough it's like if you've got any kind of racial bias you don't need to be a cop that's the that's the worst possible profession you need to get out of there you need to go do something you need to go work at the trailer plant and you can yell at black people all day and they'll yell back at you whatever <laughs> don't, don't be a police officer it's horrible. Uh. You're right. You're right. Uh, like I said, we could I could sit on this issue all day. Obviously, we could strike up another Gosh. conversation. Yeah, yeah, we not, yeah, we need yeah. Uh, going we, into we, we, the could, we could do a whole another episode on that. We might need to, but we'll see. Uh, 
see how this goes. Yeah, I think it's a good place to wrap it up. Like you said, we started to wrap it up like what 10, 15 minutes ago and kept talking. So I think we've wrapped up a pretty good episode here. Um, there's a lot to talk about. I hope some people listen and um, maybe get some feedback. You know, if, if you're listening to this right now, uh, comment, you know, comment on the, the Facebook group. You know, let us know what you think. I'm sure there's some people that I'm, I'm sure there's some people that probably yeah, so might I, disagree with both of us. You know, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're probably right. Uh, I know, uh, you're probably exactly right. I know my my police training theory uh, has uh, uh, went over well in some areas and not over well in some other areas. But uh, as an officer, uh, being inside, coming outside. Um, in all of these situations, I see lack of training. And I mean, obviously, don't get me wrong, there's racism all through uh, a lot of areas. But man, if you just have properly training, you can just you can catch all of these yeah. things and get rid of these officers way before they hit the street. You know, way before they get to 19 and 20 years on the job, you could you could easily have caught these 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 officers uh, early on in their careers. You know, uh, and we wouldn't have these situations now. You know, so, but now we, you know, we we worked around them. We uh, assumed that this is uh, what we was going to accept from them, and now you have a 19-year veteran that has had a slew of complaints, and the end of his career ended with the person, you know, being killed. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's not a good thing, you know. So, just not good you know so uh we really need to really get and hone it in on these officers way before we get to 19 20 years and you know way before we get to the point where these guys are uh if they haven't killed anyone and before they get to incarcerated you know <coughs> thousands how many mm-hmm. how many people had this guy probably in front of you know uh, how, many, how much evidence has he probably oh, yeah. how many reports yep. has he probably written that was yeah that's not, that's another good point there's so much damage that could be done even if it. even if you have an We're officer that never never does what he did never actually ends up killing somebody there's yeah who knows how much other junk you know they can get away with yeah. they just like you said they're planning evidence and you know hiding evidence and filing false reports So that's why I say I said that's why I say a well-trained department can get rid of seventy to eighty percent of junk on the department. You know, and that includes negative reports, that includes bad traffic stops. You know, that includes uh, fictitious evidence. I mean, that includes so many things. You know, just uh, complaints on officers. You know, uh, squads not doing the correct work. Uh, uh, places of business not getting proper coverage um, harassment calls uh, sexual harassment mm-hmm. calls that probably don't even go acknowledge you know so just so many you know just so many things that you can get rid of by having your department well trained and just because your department meets training protocol doesn't mean they're well trained because if you're not getting a proper training then you're not well trained. And like I said, every officer knows their deficiency areas and they know what they need to be trained in. And if you That's get true. a bachelor's That's degree, true. that doesn't necessarily mean that you're well trained. So you, you don't think so you don't think it's education it so that, much as you know, training. Training is what we need then. 
No, you gotta be you gotta be trained, man. You got to be trained. Nobody there's no uh, there's no other place that you can go to as an officer and come out of and be ready to be or be ready to hit uh, the amount of the amount of subject matter as you would be as a police officer. When I come as a police officer, when I come out of society, when I come from college, if I come from the factory, if I come from washing dishes, the subject matter that meets you from training, from the initial training, from academy, the subject matter that meets you, there is no place you can go to that will help you with that. You have to be properly trained. You have to go to those. You have to go to those training that is designed for police officers. And you have to get the correct training based on your skill set as a police officer. And if you are properly trained, if you are a bad police officer, your department can get you out the door or get you to the proper place way before you get to be that 19, 20 year department veteran that has either taken somebody's life or you have used your power to write bad reports and to do all of those there things you go. that these bad officers do. Yep, today there you go. Do, I think, man, that you know, sounds racism, like a, but tomorrow a good closing statement right there. <laughs> you, you, you summed it up pretty good. We'll have to come yeah, back yeah, and um, maybe uh, <laughs> if we can get some input, maybe we can come back and talk about some other things at another time. Yes, sir. So you can find us on Classroom 21 and Facebook. Uh, you can go to Classroom 21, the group. You can also send us an email at Classroom 21 with two M's. Uh, that's at gmail.com. Classroom 21 with two M's at gmail.com. Uh, and oh, that's it. That nope, is it. Nope. That's our only platform. Our only yeah. platform. I thought it was a lot more. But yeah, so <laughs> that's it. Yeah, we, yeah, we trimmed it down. <laughs> Of course, you yeah, yeah, yeah you sure can listen that. to us on other platforms. So platform I, I, I listen on to Facebook? us on the Apple Podcast app. You know? Yes, Apple Podcast app. And then, uh, on the Anchor uh, Anchor Podcast app as well. And there is, uh, oh man, I forgot it. I'm so sorry. But either way, yeah, I'm going to write them all down. There are so many areas that we're about. Pod, uh, broadcast at almost any place that you can catch podcasts you can actually hear us on a podcast classroom 21 is almost broadcast on every podcast platform oh spotify too yeah spotify no, that's, that's the main ones i listen to so uh, you can catch us on spotify you can catch us on apple spotify. probably some others i know that's the ones that i use that's the ones that i know of <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, catch us on one of those platforms. Uh, iPhone, um, catch us on Apple. Don't have an iPhone, catch Spotify on Android. And that's right. Anywhere else you can catch podcasts, just look up Classroom 21 and and I'll leave it for coming. We'll be more than happy to include All right. you. Jump on episodes and leave it to me. Yeah, we'll see y'all next time in the classroom. All right. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, too. Yes, sir. <laughs>